0: Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. This is Evan Knowles, joined by Nate and Tomasso. We have an amazing episode this week, probably one of my favorites, because it is our guest's job to build startup ecosystems. The whole point of our podcast is to tell stories of companies and people doing amazing things in the technology and entrepreneurship space. We realized there was a big need for this kind of storytelling in this part of the United States, so we wanted to make sure we fill that gap. Our guest this week is Wendy Lee. She's a former CEO of Centrifuge, she has started and sold several major companies, She is advising the state of Kentucky on how to build a startup ecosystem, and she's on the board of the world's biggest entrepreneurship community, Techstars. She's going to walk us through her background, what she's learned over the years, and how she's applying that experience to build and grow startup ecosystems all around the world, and specifically in Cincinnati and Louisville. We're so excited to bring this to you this week, let's get into it.
1: We are super excited today for our guests. Um, Evan, you, you had gotten connected with our guests, and then we, we got on a phone call with her and are bringing her on the podcast now. I'm sure this is going to be an amazing conversation. Today, we are joined by Wendy Lee, the former CEO of CentraViews. She's now advising the state of Kentucky in Louisville's LEAP initiative. And by the way, she is a Techstars board, men, board member. Wendy, how are you doing?
2: Oh, I'm so well. Yeah. Happy Friday night to all of us.
1: <laughs> Thank you for joining us on a Friday yeah. night. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, So, I mean, obviously we went through a little bit of what you're doing now there, but, but you just have a, a long storied history uh, in technology and in the entrepreneurship space.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I've had a, a big life and an awesome life relative to
1: entrepreneurship. That's awesome let's let's kind of dive in then if we want to get you know we, we don't want to spend too much time on the past, we'd love to get into to what you're doing now and yeah. and what what's exciting to come. but if you could give like a little bit of a high level overview of of what you've done and and how you've gotten to this point, we'd love to kind of touch on a little bit of that
2: yeah, no worries just just a little context, so my voice will make sense and <laughs> <laughs> the noise of all that goes on in our world in the Midwest in our entrepreneurial world. I mean, the the, the big story for my life as an entrepreneur was the opportunity to build a business with some fantastic founders. Um, we went from zero to fifty million. Uh, we did six acquisitions, all. No cash, just equity acquisitions, and that business called On Target, based in Atlanta with about 250 employees around the world, was acquired by Siebel Systems, a software company, a CRM software company now owned by Oracle in '99, for about 250 million. It was a stock transaction. We owned the business 100%, meaning the founders, um, and we bootstrapped it. And that was my initial experience into this world of entrepreneurship, where I knew nothing about VCs, zero. I only knew about selling high-end products and services to the largest technology companies in the world. And that was IBM, Cisco, HP, Oracle, SAP, Microsoft, et cetera. So, you know, that was was ground zero for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was not a kid when that happened. And uh, building that business from scratch, which included some services and some lightweight technology, not heavy duty, because we integrated into CRM systems, Siebel being one of them. But the, the, the point of all that is that's kind of when life began. You know, when I was an entrepreneur, my name, my, my first gig as a founder, you know, it was all about making a customer, a big global customer to create satisfaction for them, to deliver value for them. I never thought about an exit. That wasn't top of mind. I never thought about a V.C. because I had no VC. money in the business. I only thought about meeting or exceeding the expectations of our large customers, which were the largest technology companies in the world. So that was the beginning. From then, you know, once you have I had no money until I had some money, so no money. Uh, I think we paid ourselves, you know, $50,000 a year or something like that. I mean, it didn't matter. It wasn't material because we were all in and building our business. But so when we sold and then we had in our world, a lot of money, I know in today's terms, it's not, but in our world, it was a lot, right? Cause it was a big, big payday. Yep. And I remember thinking now what, like, seems like, The smartest thing to do is go work for the company that acquired us. And I loved doing that. So I worked as an executive at Siebel Systems. I traveled the world. I built a services practice inside Siebel called e-business consulting, which was very packaged, lightweight consulting to help the largest companies in the world that they sold to, to be more effective in implementing all the software the multi-channel software they bought from Siebel. That was also fun. But that, you know, waned down and then I'll finish up the story. It was then that I became curious, George, about what (laughs) this segment called venture capitalists were. Because remember, we didn't use them. And remember, I only hung out with large companies. I didn't know what a startup was. And by the way, I was already close to 50 by then. So, Money was never my motivation, ever. Innovation and customer satisfaction was, and loyalty was my motivation. And of course, I understood technology because we were part of a CRM sector or category. But you know, then I thought, what am I going to do? Because working inside a big company wasn't exactly my cup of tea. Although I Enjoyed it, and I learned a lot about working inside Siebel. I learned a lot about engineering and product marketing and all those things, right, which was good for me. But the point was it's at when I decided to move on from Siebel, which I was sad about, to be honest. I was sad. But when I decided to do that is when this new, big, massive you know, founder first, entrepreneurial VC world came into light and I became addicted very quickly. And I learned about that world in Boulder. And that's how I know tech stars. Is that helpful?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So so once you kind of got yourself into that environment and learned that that was there and you had a passion for it, what were some of the first things you did to really get involved in it?
2: A couple of things, Um, because I had money that I'd never imagined I'd have, right? Um, I did some angel investing, and I was really not very good at it. You'd give me a bad score, even though I only came behind. I never led, of course, because I wouldn't know how to lead. But I came behind really smart investors like Brad Feld, like David Cohen, like Dave McClure, I mean, you know, they would ask me to look at deals uh, to see what I thought, because many times they were in categories that I they thought I understood. And I did like business to business products and services like CRM and Mm -hmm. marketing. And so that's the first thing I did. The second and by the way, um, mostly I lost all that money except for a couple of deals. And, and those deals, I, I actually sourced and participated in through Techstars Ventures. In the early days, it was called Bullet Time. So I was a limited partner in Bullet Time and through that very small fund, invested in Uber, Twilio, wow. South America, right? Um, SendGrid. So
0: yeah, I got acquired by Twilio.
2: Yeah, exactly. So that through David Cohen's Bullet Time Fund, now called TechStars, and I, I invested a tiny amount of money compared to my net worth, but I didn't know about that either, right? Because I'd never been an LP. It just looked like it would be smarter than being an individual angel. Do you know what I mean? So. Yeah. So those two things were non-trivial in my life, in this next phase of my life, where um, I became obsessed, curious, involved in venture-backed technology startups. The second thing I did, all of this was in Boulder. And by the way, I'd never lived in Boulder. I didn't know a soul here. That's a whole other story. But when I got here, because I'm back here now, as you know, when I moved here the first time, um, you know, I had an opportunity to get to know a lot of really awesome founders like Rajat Vargava, like Neil Robertson, um, like the guys who started Rally, which went from zero to, public, to IPO. Most of these were in Brad's tribe or he had invested in them. So because I was just punched out of Siebel, i just moved here, Brad said, well, why don't you help us out? And so he was kind enough and generous enough to give me exposure to some of his portfolio companies that kind of needed help, you know, because early stage startups are messy. So he knew I wasn't working full time. He knew I was smart. He knew I was interested and curious, but I had a lot to learn about early stage tech based startups. So he gave me four or five introductions and I got a bunch of projects from them from that. And, you know, they paid me something. I don't remember how much it wasn't material, but I would have paid them just to learn to learn what it means and what it looks like to start from scratch. So that's how I really got into it. My addiction came so my addiction to early stage venture back startups and that whole world started in Boulder. It continued in California. There I got more assertive because I've got got to be a little smarty pants about it. I thought <laughs> I invested more and I started. You know, I was a VP of marketing one time. I was whatever. And then an interim CEO a couple of times. And then I started making bigger investments in deals that I fell in love with. So that's really how it rolled. I mean, imagine that after getting an exit, instead of going to Naples or Michigan or wherever, New York City, I decided to keep working and keep learning. And I'm grateful for all of my teachers and mentors like David Cohen, like Brad Feld, and most recently like Steve Case, um, yep. because I'm a mentor for Rise of the Rest, and I've learned a lot in the last four years from watching how he rolls, not just as an investor, but by an advocate for startups in the middle of the country.
0: Yeah, yeah he's doing a lot of great work. It's awesome seeing what he's doing. Um, you know, you mentioned a couple of things on there, and, and I'll call them, you, you dropped a couple bombs there, there at the very beginning, okay. that Uh, Uber and Twilio and Syngrid were some of your group's early investments, just for those people that don't really understand, you know, venture capital, but they understand how big Uber and maybe Twilio is. You know, Uber is one of the world's biggest mobility platforms. Twilio is a gigantic communications platform. How did you guys find them and what was that initial conversation like as a venture venture capital group, you know, speaking with them and beginning to? Yeah. yeah. What did that look like?
2: Yeah, that's very interesting. So, you know, deal flow comes from lots of different ways, right? Lots of sources. And actually SynGrid was in a TechStars Boulder accelerator. Wow. Yeah. That's and great. um so that's how David, David of course through the accelerator had invested 100k or whatever. And 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 then he, as an institutional seed investor, followed up on that initial accelerator investment. And so that's how I got in that one. So that was a Techstars accelerator deal. Twilio was deal flow from David's seed capital colleagues, syndicate partners in California. OK, so, you know, if you are a venture capitalist, you have your own network. And then, of course, you have a network of VCs that ask you to participate in their deal. And so I'm pretty sure that's how that one happened. And Uber was exactly the same. So bullet time, David's first venture fund, very, very small, first one, got a chance I think through first round capital because Rob Hayes was first money into Uber. He is a partner at first round capital. And that's how that happened. And somehow Dave was able to get into that deal. So remember I didn't lead any of those. I was in a fund as a high net worth individual, right? Um, and and again, it was a small amount of money. I only wish I'd put more. Of course, now it's easy.
1: <laughs> that's how it always goes.
2: Yeah, of course, um, that's but that's how it was. That's how yeah. it worked.
1: Yeah. So you you mentioned you know you 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 find these deals and deal flow can can come from networks and and come from the people that you know. Earlier, you had mentioned Steve Case and Rise of the uh-huh. Rest and his program to bring up. Bring up the the rest of the country, not just California, not just New York, right. in in technology and entrepreneurship and, and venture capital. Obviously, that's a that's a huge focus of this podcast is to talk about the Midwest and the the great stuff that's going on here. How did you get involved with Steve with Rise of the Rest and and what do you see you know through being involved with that about the Midwest and about the middle of the country in general?
2: Yeah, it's been amazing, and he has been without knowing this, I'm sure, uh, just a major teacher um he's inspired me he's taught me i'm a good student of the game i believe in that um so so here's what i see he's done and here's how i've gotten involved with him Mm -hmm. so first of all steve and his team of course anna and jd later but i mean the whole team they were intentional about creating conditions for entrepreneurs in the middle of the country. And the way they did that is by going into cities Mm -hmm. from Cincinnati to Columbus, to Louisville, to Minneapolis, you know, all the cities. Um, They've been doing this for seven years and they would go into a city primarily to recognize half dozen entrepreneurs and then award an investment in one. So pretty traditional stuff, right? I mean, not, that in itself is not unusual. It was, at the time he started this, quite unusual for the Midwest to get that
1: attention. So yeah. let's
2: let's give him that shout out. So they, just,
1: they would like, to- like go on a tour to these different places, That's right? right.
2: They would plan in advance. They'd locate these cities. They would do some research on the cities. And I want to go to that research. Mm -hmm. because the research informed, in my humble opinion, how he would roll in. So he would look at a couple of things. One is he'd say, look, what large company exposure is in the city?
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Because through that total available market, if you can call it that, understanding the sectors, the size of the companies, their leadership in their sectors, he could get a sense of their own desires to innovate. Right.
1: I mean, that's interesting. How did he how did he figure out that that was a good way to approach it? I, I don't know.
2: Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I mean, Anna, he, Anna and I have talked about it before. It was just part of their basic research yeah. because he wanted an audience with them. So they would have to research it because he wanted to sit down with them and kind of smack them around. My words, not his. He'd want to smack them around to say, Are you engaged in your community with startups? Because if you're not, you're kind of a fool. Yeah. Because you are old school. He didn't say that. You're traditional Midwest, large companies. You're so important. Yeah, you. And yet, and you want talent and you want innovation in your community. So the question is, are you engaged with your startups here? Full stop. I loved seeing him do that. And by the way, he'd get on his bus with his team and some guests from the large company guests, too, from the region, and he'd go visit some of these companies that actually had a lot going on in their own minds relative to technology innovation, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was part of him, of course, getting to know the region, how it rolled, but also his way to plead for these large companies who have capital that they could use with startups, as Mm -hmm. well as just support the community effort of the ecosystem. So I got to tell you, I learned a lot from that. And I'll come back later if we have time to talk about how I applied that learning to Cincinnati. So that's one thing I saw him kind of research and then apply in small groups at wherever the big company CEOs hung out. That was one thing he did. Second thing he did is he typically did research, and I don't know exactly where he got the numbers from, likely a combination of pitch book, crunch base, and any other public data he could find to show the amount of risk capital that particular region had brought in over the last five years or so, okay? Mm-hmm. And because then he could say, well, look, you can't, If you're not going to support your local technology startups, what are you going to support? The United Way? Yeah. I mean, that's tacky, but I got to say that. I'm not saying United Way is not awesome, but these traditional business people love their community. They support their colleges and some of their high schools because they've been there for so long. But, you know, why aren't they supporting the technology startup community the same way i don't know mm-hmm. and and so they made he made them aware of how starved for capital the startups were he made this group of big co leaders aware of how starved for customers they were and therefore while they were either failing or leaving it was pretty cool yeah,
0: yeah. Can you give some examples of those those big companies that you are referring to? Maybe just a couple of them.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, he in Cincinnati, he would meet with Procter and Gamble and Kroger and Western and Southern uh-huh. and Children's.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think one of the. You kind of one of the old guard ways to think about supporting the the tech scene and the, the startup scene in your area or not is one of these old traditional companies. They're probably intimidated by it, and they think if we start giving capital and we start supporting it, we could be supporting a competitor. You know, is is it bad think, for them? When in, I don't. Think, I don't think that. I don't think that. I don't right. think so either. But I feel like that that could be something in their heads, and that the thought of the the all boats rise with the tide isn't really. Thought of in traditional business?
2: Yeah, I think that's again, maybe I think more likely. Now, this is now based not just on observing and learning from Steve, but my own experience in Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. I think the real reason is these very large companies already have a lot of efforts focused on innovation. Mm It's not like they're stupid. I mean, they have consultants and incubators and accelerators and labs i mean they have no choice because they have to grow their publicly traded companies right yeah, yeah. so i i think it's more at least my experience again I, i'm not a researcher on this but i think in my experience it was more that they already had a lot going on and they weren't aware of the inventory the supply of startup capability and innovation in their own region because no one made them aware of it. See, in Centrifuge, that was my job because I worked for the government, state, local, and for the large companies. So my job was not just to build a startup community. My job was to build an innovation economy that supplied talent, and technology innovation to the large companies over time. And while doing that, I was supposed to make sure I was attracting the best I could find startups and keep the ones we had growing and supplied with capital so they'd stay. So it was a very sophisticated, actually complex job I had. Now, back to Steve Case for a minute. You can imagine if you're I moved from San Francisco to Cincinnati, you know this. I was recruited by Bob McDonald, then the P the CEO of PNG. Later he became the the chair, you know, the cabinet leader for the VA. So he left as soon as I got there. And I was sad about that because I didn't know anybody else, but I had to figure it out. But you can imagine me coming from San Francisco, startup Mecca, and I never I mean, that was just my life. I had been there mm-hmm. for a decade investing, mentoring, and leading in some form or fashion early stage startups. So I was completely addicted and only knew one thing then. I only knew venture back startups, right? The yeah. risk, all that. So then I moved to Cincinnati. And at the time, I mean, I couldn't even find that many startups. Yeah. So and and it was very fragmented, probably like Lexington, for sure, like Louisville. There were a bunch of small groups, you know, accelerators and incubators and all this stuff that really didn't amount to a lot at the time. They were all well-intended and they had passionate people leading them, but they weren't really moving the needle as a total group. So Centrifuge was established very specifically to lead the ecosystem, not just and build an innovation ecosystem, not just lead a startup community. But you can see how much I, learned, I had to learn very fast because there's a public-private mm-hmm. partnership. And the large companies controlled a, a lot of the attitude and investment in the region and specifically in centrifuge. So I to get up to speed fast. Thank goodness for Steve Case. I mean, it's not like I hung out with him every week. That would be an overstatement. But I went with him three or four times, and he came to Cincinnati two or three times. Mm-hmm. So I, And I paid attention to everything he said, how he said it. Um, I studied all his research. And by the way, he's an investor, so he has a fund called Revolution, and he has a new fund called Rise of the Rest. So, and they're very different funds. They, they, their hypothesis is very different. So I just, you know, that, that exposure and that inspiration from Steve Case um, amplified what I learned from Brad Feld, amplified and reinforced what I learned from David Cohen at TechStars. So, you know, by the time I'm in Cincinnati, even a couple of years I see the whole world differently. I mean, really, I'm no longer a a Silicon Valley, whatever. I mean, I wasn't from there anyway, right? But I mean, (laughs) I'm no longer that. My eyes are wide open by year two in Cincinnati, which would be 2016. Eyes wide open to the potential of what exists for the innovation economy through startups in the Midwest. I'm like, my eyes were wide open. And that's when I really started moving around and learning more about Indianapolis and Nashville and um, Green Bay and Madison and Minneapolis. I mean, that's when I said, wow, it's not just that deals are cheap. And, <laughs> The quality of living is low. I get so sick of that. Like that's not it. What's what? What I saw was high quality, risk taking, smart, passionate entrepreneurs doing their best to grow their companies, like Dura at Make Time.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Right. I mean, I remember the first time I met him. I mean, I was first six months in Cincinnati and I was introduced to him by Dave Knotts. And I said, wow, like you got it going on. And all these things are complicated. So it's not like no problem. You know, I'm on easy street over here. But I I really resonated with him. And then he took a Series A from Foundry, which is Brad's firm in Boulder, and and so the partner Seth Levine would come in to see Drua. He'd come through Cincinnati, so I just I, I was I was on point about the whole thing that was happening in the middle of the country. I was connecting my own professional networks on either coast back to the Midwest. I was a student of the game of the Midwest. I was respectful of all those entrepreneurs that were having to bootstrap longer than the goofballs in California, (laughs) right? And and even the the guys that didn't have the angel, sophisticated angel networks that we had in California, because not all of us got institutional seed money. Most didn't. But there were big networks of former founders of angels, right? And that's how most of that early money came together. Your 750 came from... You know, a bunch of high net worth technology entrepreneurs who busted their ass and made good. So it was just such it was just such a a buzz for me. This is the only way I can describe it. I mean, yeah. how lucky I was at 60 years old to be able to leave the Bay Area, which is pretty sweet, I might add. Yeah. Come to Cincinnati and begin again with a fresh set of eyes and learn as much as I did. So. I hope that's helpful um, to this podcast to others that listen and learn from it because one message I'm sending is don't get stuck right and take the road less traveled so for your own adventure of nothing else you know Absolutely. the last thing I wanted to do is go play golf or go to Naples <laughs> I wanted to keep learning Naples Florida I mean because yeah. that's where when Cincinnati goes, I, I can't, I'm not a Florida person, but you know, I didn't even think about not working. I didn't think about anything, but learning new technologies, new business models and new ways to bring innovation into the world. That's really what drives me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we definitely want to say in front of everybody, you've done some, you've done amazing work here. We want to thank you for everything that you know, you've know you done in this region, because it means a lot to have that kind of experience come from California and bring it here and really make a big difference. You and Steve Case and many others. And I, I got to sit down with Drua not too long ago for coffee. And you're right. You know, it's got entrepreneurs just like him that are really making a big difference around here that are passionate and building technology that uh, is going to make a big difference. Um, And so, you know, a follow up question that I had was when you come into these regions, these cities and states, uh, where do you start? Like, what are the first two things you look at and say, this ecosystem needs to be improved? There are so many things that go into an ecosystem from venture capital to startups to talent uh, to, you know, press to lift all that up. What what are the first two things you, you might look at?
2: It's really, really a good question. And, you know, I was in Louisville the early part of this week. And it was it was a hard couple of days for lots of reasons. One is that I had a cold. But putting that aside, um, there are three or four things you got to get done right away. Okay, And by the way, this is not Harvard Business School master's academic crap. This I just know for sure. One is you have to pull together your entrepreneurs. And I Mm -hmm. don't mean feed them beer and pizza. I mean understand what they're building, who they're building it for, who's on their team, who their customers are, what capital they've taken, what capital they need. So let me, remember, I'm a CRM person. So if I can't come into town and take all the fragmented crap that's going on from every Tom, Dick and Harry ESO from the chamber to accelerators, all these entities who've sprung up, who are really want to help. I got to pull all that data together about our startups. That is the supply that we have to work with. Mm-hmm. And so that's step one. And that is not easy because some startups don't want people to know they're around. Others don't want to share data. Others are cynical. So you've got all kinds of attitudes that surround a startup community. Mostly, they don't even think they're a startup community. They just think they're a bunch of people business building, right? Yeah. So we, the first thing we have to do, and this is a, a major philosophy of Techstars, is you have to really convene, coalesce, through identifying all the startups at any stage and try to bring them together. That's, that's step one. And we've been doing that in Louisville. We've had a couple of meetups, a couple of founder dinners, you know, we had the assessment readout, but that, you know, that's, and you think, well, that sounds so easy. Why is that hard? Because everyone has their own little database of entrepreneurs. Yeah. No one wants to share that.
1: Mm-hmm. And for
2: us in Louisville, to be viewed as valid meaning a valid growing startup community so so vcs would even come we have to be able to say we've got 650 and 30% are early stage and 25% are product market fit and they've raised 100 million dollars we got to be able to tell that story And we've got 30% that are advanced manufacturing. We've got 25% that are life sciences. You know what I mean? Like if you cannot definitively describe or characterize the startup community, the supply part of the economy, you don't have much. And by the way, in most of these cities, there is no census taker. At centrifuge in Cincinnati, we were, the center, we were the census taker. We were self-appointed, and people got mad about it. But mm-hmm. finally, over the years, we were able to not just, you know, pill, pull together some data, but keep it up, right? Keep it current, keep it valuable, and use it on behalf of entrepreneurs. So that's step one, okay? Yep. I call that baselining the innovation of your startup community. That's not assessing it. That's different. That's what Techstars does. All yep. I try to do is friggin' baseline so I know what I got. Okay, second thing I do is all this is data-driven. This is not like sticky notes. Yeah. It's data-driven. And you got to have a central database and it has to be kept up. So the second thing I do is do a total available market on the large company and the sectors. So... In Cincinnati, we had 142 large companies, public to large companies, over 100 million. I knew what sectors, I knew what percent of the sectors were the most significant ones. I knew all that. Now, the reason that's important is because when you're running a public-private partnership, like Patrick Henshaw is doing for LEAP, he's the new CEO, he has state money, and he has big co money that has matched the state grant. Mm-hmm. So he has to figure out who he needs to serve on the big co side, not who's going to sponsor leave. That's stupid. No one cares about that. What we care about as a startup community is delivering value back to those large companies that match the state money. Mm-hmm. We're going to assume that those large companies look at innovation, technology innovation all the time to drive organic growth and efficiency, right? Because they use technology for that reason. And so we have to assess in the spirit of building an innovation economy, we have to assess and profile and baseline the demand side of the economy. Yum, Humana, all of them. And that is non-trivial. And people looked at me like I had 22 heads. Well, why do we have to do that? They've already sponsored us. They said, I don't care. This has nothing to do with sponsor. This has to do with us delivering insights, digital thought leadership, and potentially connections to startups that can help them solve real business problems. Second thing you're going to do, right? Understand your demand. First thing you're going to do, understand your supply. Supply equal startups, demand equal the demand for technology innovation in your big coast. Third thing you're going to do is you're going to figure out the investing situation there. What's the landscape like? Do we have good angels? Do we have any angels? How do they do their deals? Do we have early stage? Do we have institutional seed? What do we got? And then, of course, we go to PitchBook and figure that out and we figure out how dire it is. Not just the attitudes of the investors. Remember, the first three things I'm talking about is just the facts. Yeah, data driven, the facts. Because if I can't start there, the rest of this is just crap. It just swirls around in blog posts and you never get to real outcomes. Remember, public-private partnerships like LEAP have to deliver outcomes. Period. Yeah. So that's the, you know, the, the, there's three big nodes. The first most important node in my world is the node of startups and founders and entrepreneurs at any stage across a taxonomy that we outline. The second node are the large companies with an eye towards them maybe being customers over time, but at least validators or invalidators rel- relative to that capability. The third node is investing, not just institutional, but angels too, okay? The next node that's essential, and then I'll, I'll take a breath, is the university. Um, universities are institutions. Traditionally, they are frigging hard to understand, to work with, et cetera. I don't think that's the case in the University of Louisville. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not not just because we have a new president. And honestly, I don't even know her that well. Mainly the folks I've interacted with run um, research, development, startup programs inside, and tech transfer, okay? But the truth of the matter is, it seems to me this is an early statement that we can crack open the capability of the University of Louisville in a very significant way. It Mm -hmm. seems to me they are ready. It seems to me they've been preparing for this. I don't mean just on the research side, right? I mean throughout all the colleges. And I'm not saying it's Stanford or MIT or Harvard. It doesn't need to be. It just needs to be a source of talent, relevant talent, It needs to be a source of research. It needs to be a source of support when it comes to non-dilutive grants. Now, I didn't do well with that in Cincinnati. You would not have given me a good score. I'm proud of a bunch of stuff I did, not of that. So I'm kind of hell-bent to crack open that node in our ecosystem in the greater Louisville area. So I'm very definitive about this. I am not woolly and I'm not hand-wavy Relative to how to build up effectively so it will be sustainable a innovation ecosystem, an innovation economy is that helpful
1: yeah that I mean that's awesome that was a ton of information and I really enjoyed listening to that and, and listening to to how you have a data-driven and a, and a very process-based approach to to evaluate and build an ecosystem. I think, I think that's what Kentucky specifically, but but just this region needs, and and that's really cool to hear. One of the pieces you said in there was the, the third step was assessing and taking stock of um, VCs, angel investors, the the capital in the space. Obviously, Louisville and in Cincinnati and in Kentucky, the mid the Midwest in general is not the same as, as the Valley or, or as New York, but what have been your initial thoughts, uh, you know, in Cincinnati and Louisville in the the surrounding area of capital available of the, the attitude and the, the, the thoughts of those people with that capital available well, um, and were that, you surprised? In yeah. Way?
2: You know, I was surprised when I was in Cincinnati. I'm not surprised in Louisville because mm-hmm. I already experienced Cincinnati. right? Yeah. 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 So had I con- gone straight from San Francisco to Louisville, I probably would have been real surprised, right? But I'd, <laughs>
1: already,
2: I'd already gone through that. So I think the attitudes, the culture of investing, the attitudes of investing are, uh, could use some shifting, right? I mean, uh, these, these are people in Cincinnati and Louisville that don't mind betting on horses. They don't mind investing in MLS soccer, Uh, They are very philanthropic when it comes to culture like the ballet, the symphony and and United Way. So it's not these people are afraid to invest in their community. There's no confusion there. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: I think what they lack is an understanding of the what and the how of investing in an early stage deal. Mm -hmm. Right now, I'm not saying everyone is naive. I know better. I mean, there are some that know how to do that. But the ones that do seem to be a little bit um, elitist. Um, and this is a Cincinnati thing. You know, they just talk to each other. Or they price deals a certain way. Um, and and it's because there's just not that much competition. So they can rule the board, right? Because they can. Because there's not that much competition. You don't have young founders that have gone IPO yeah. like Aaron Levy, know throwing down a 100k twice Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean because when you're an angel fester you got to be willing to write two checks not one because one's not going to get them anywhere and they're never going to get as far as they say ever it just doesn't happen (laughs) right so i do think there's some education to do and i mean not just legal education not just the mechanics of a note. I don't mean that because these are very smart and sophisticated people, right? Yes. They're not they're not boneheads. They just haven't done this kind of risk-taking in this way to the degree we need them to. I'm not saying yeah. they've done it. So I think Techstars is going to help us a lot with that because they have studied angel investing for reasons that are obvious. Remember, we have a network of 3,500 entrepreneurs around the world. Mm -hmm. And we only invest when they come through our accelerators, hundred K. So these people are only with us for 12 weeks. They need more money. And typically they're not ready for a seed round, right? So uh, we're going to learn a lot from tech stars. I will lean on them a lot to provide relevant education to those folks in Lexington and Louisville that really have an interest And are willing to take a risk in an early stage startup. So that's one thing we're going to do. I feel very strongly about it. Another thing that we'll do is we will start leveraging the network of institutional seed and emerging VCs in the Midwest that I've been working with for four years in Cincinnati, that Patrick Henshaw has been working with, and that tech stars work with. I mean, that's an advantage of having tech stars on the ground. I mean, all they've done so far is interviewed 60 people and done a readout. Oh, well, their work has just begun. They're yeah. engaged for a solid year. And over the year, they, they're not going to just sit in coffee shops and have office hours. There are specific modules of education and connectivity they're going to be delivering. And they'll bring their network with them. And so we're just getting started on that because tech stars the largest global network of entrepreneurs in the world has a huge mentorship uh, network and an equally huge network of investors that follow them. Right? So if we continue, we meaning Louisville and I think of it as a regional play like you do, if Louisville and Lexington can come together more and more and more and leverage the resources that tech stars has, I think over time will for sure change the culture and the attitude of our angel investors. And more, more importantly, we will loosen up some capital and also bring in some new relationships for those uh, startups that deserve an institutional round. And we all don't right. That's what makes people sad because sometimes they want it and they can't have it Mm -hmm. like mostly, because, for whatever reason, they're not ready, and they don't want to kiss all the frogs or kiss all the rings. do you know what I mean to get money? So I hope that's helpful to you
0: absolutely, yeah, that's a lot of great stuff, a lot of great value in those in those statements there. Um we always try to end the podcast with a forward looking statement on you know your outlook on this region. Uh, all of our guests always have a great answer to that. Because they're so optimistic. That's one of the great things about entrepreneurs and people in the tech space. So I want to put that question on you: Is you know where do you see Louisville, Cincinnati, and Lexington going? You know, you've mentioned a lot of the things that it takes to get there, and those things will eventually happen. But where do you see this going? What's your optimistic view of this? Well, region?
2: my first of all, I am well. You can tell even on a Friday night; it's later your time than my time. But I've had a busy week. I, I just see I see the potential i am obsessed with the potential of people of products and services of companies and of regions who knew that i would be obsessed with the potential of regions relative to entrepreneurship i only learned this you know 4 years 4 years in cincinnati but here's what i see i see the opportunity to go long to focus on certain sectors that I think Louisville, just like Cincinnati truly has a right to win in. Right. And, and some of these examples, not all, because remember I'm brand new, so I'm far from being an expert in Louisville, but, but we are in a hotbed of a big category called aging innovation. Significant. I mean, there are, 15 or 20 large to public organizations who all are looking for technology innovation, products and services to help better serve their aging population. And I don't mean just in Louisville. I mean, their customers are global, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so if you think of just that sector or if you think of advanced manufacturing, all that's going on right in that particular area. I mean if if you just took those vertical technology categories and then you sliced on top of them some horizontal categories that everyone's talking about like AI for healthcare like blockchain for supply chain come on so I think what the reason I'm optimistic is because I sense everyone's ready and when I say everyone mostly the actors and the nodes are ready to break this open. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think they're ready. And, you know, uh, willingness is important
1: because
2: mm-hmm. if you're not willing and you're not able, it doesn't matter who's there helping. It doesn't matter who the CEO is. It doesn't matter that tech stars, it doesn't matter. They have to be willing and able to actively participate to help us build out this innovation economy. And I feel, it's only a feeling yet because I haven't finished all the data work. Techstars has just done an assessment of the startup community. We've got a lot more data to pull together about each of the nodes, but I sense they're ready, especially if we go long on a couple of these categories, not exclusively, right? Mm Because that's not right, but a couple of these categories that we can attract more entrepreneurs to, as well as support the ones that are toiling in the field of that category. So that's one thing I'm real excited about, right? I'm excited about getting to the point where that's a part of the narrative. The second thing I'm excited about is the fact that we are building slowly a culture of inclusion, transparency, and trust across all the entities that support entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Now that's not babble. That's hard to do. Cause you've got enterprise corp and accelerate health and um, you know, this, the university, and you've got a bunch of groups that have been doing their thing on behalf of entrepreneurs. And what we're suggesting to them is that, could you all come under one big tent? Wouldn't that be awesome? And could we have a common vision? Could we realize that everyone has to win for anyone to win? That there is no win-lose. There is no zero-sum game. And yes, some days you're going to feel like your cheese is moved. (laughs) And you got to get over it. So if we can over time, influence all the entities that have done such amazing work through Lexington and Louisville to support and not to give up control, although no one has control anyway, that control is an illusion, but if they could just throw in their strengths into one big bucket so we could programatize best you can, you can't do that to everything, this whole effort of, that we're building, first with the startup community and then with an innovation economy. I mean, I think we got it covered. Now, it's never going to go fast enough for me because I'm impatient.
1: Yep, I know we feel the same way.
2: And it's never going to be perfect. And so we have to have a lot of tolerance for ambiguity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, traditional business people don't. They don't deal with ambiguity because they control shit. They say yes or no, make yeah. this happen. They delegate, and then if people don't do it, they fire them. That's not how it works in our world, right? Mm-hmm. So I think we do have to be patient only in the context of what I say, also a sense of urgency, because my whole thing is hashtag giddy Up. It was for four years in Cincinnati. We can't have the same meetings over and over and over. Yeah. We can only have them maybe twice. <laughs> if we can't get to the answer the second time, it's not worth answering. We have to move on. Yes. And so I'm trying to put that theme in our culture.' We're, we're fortunate to have the Governor and Terry and Brian and Jason, the whole you know economic development office, the office, that that's like cool. Right. And these are good guys. They're not boneheads. These are really smart, visionary, entrepreneurial and entrepreneurs. So we're lucky to have them, but they can't make it happen. They only gave us a little bit of money. Right. I mean, it's barely starter money, so we're not going to argue over the money. We have to execute against our own vision, Mm -hmm. engaging all the nodes over time. The first one being the most important, which is our entrepreneurial community. So that's all I got. I'm very optimistic, but I also get cranky, right? Because I'm, you yeah. know, I am just get cranky because I'm thinking this seems so here's why it seems so obvious to me, but I have to be patient because people haven't weren't with me in Cincinnati.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. And it was yeah, they're
1: hard. learning it for the first time.
2: Yeah, and it was my first time and I learned a lot, but I made a lot of mistakes. So I don't want to make those same mistakes. Patrick is going to help me not make the same mistakes. I'm not going to be in Louisville forever. You know, I'll be there as long as I'm needed, but I'm not a consultant. I'm an advisor. And right now I'm mainly advising the governance committee of LEAP and Patrick and Techstars because I'm on the board. So I feel Grateful and honored and jazzed, mindful though that we got to giddy up and be okay if we make a few mistakes and keep back on the path. So, um, I hope that you guys can be a part of spreading this word because podcasts like this really do matter. Because if we, once you edit this down, we'll share this. Yeah. And we'll activate our network on behalf of your desire to bring good content to your, the Midwest.
1: Yep. And that that's why we're doing it. We're we're trying to get the word out. There there's players like you in the space and like you said there's there's people who are excited to to take the next move and and bring the the region to the next level and and we want to we want to share those stories. So, thank you for coming on and and thank you for for sharing all of this stuff. It, it's great to hear your your opinions and your perspectives and your experience on it all. Okay, well, thank
2: you so much. I don't know about wisdom, but there's a lot of- <laughs> And we'll awesome. see how wise it, it it looks once it starts happening.